May 12, 2021, it's Watson Pedro Show. Thank <laughs> you. 
lot for Pedro Show. Happy Wednesday. Started off with John Coltrane, Felonious Monk doing Trinkle Tinkle. And we had Chris T doing I Can't Hold On Anymore. Got a call from Brother Matt yesterday. <laughs> he reminded me 20 years is coming up in about a week for the Watt from Pedro show. Okay. Miss him dearly. Yeah, Brother Matt's on the uh, Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point here in Pedro. because still great quarantine on my own. But I'm not mad alone. You might have heard a voice because those engineers in Estonia with their Skype invention. Mm -hmm. I got Mr. Chris Sackis with me. Hey, welcome aboard, Chris. Thanks for having me. Uh, sure hey, I had, a, I had a technical question. Did you want me to record on my end and send you a file or no? <laughs> it's a lot from Pedro show. <laughs> Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. When we got off we air, got... we'll talk about that, Chris. Okay. I want to go through your uh, musical journey. What? Please bring me your earliest musical recollection. My earliest musical recollection would have been uh, a guy named Lou Monti, who uh, had a song uh, that he sang in Italian. He was one of these guys that sang in Italian and English. And my father liked his record, and it was one uh, where the chorus went uh, bibbidi-bobbidi-boop. That was about it. And, and what he would do is he would imitate all these instruments with his voice. So he would you know, imitate a piccolo. He would imitate these different instruments. And... Then he would sing in Italian in between these imitations. He also had a song my mother liked uh, that was sort of uh, saucy for its time about a fireman who would come and go. And so that was my earliest musical memory. Is where, that. Where's this, Chris? Chris? Say that again. Where, where was your where parents? Was your, Where'd you grow up? Um, I, well, I was born in Amityville on Long Island. And uh, and most people know where Amityville is because of the Amityville horror. And I grew up a couple of towns east, uh, a town called Lindenhurst. And they were both on the south shore of Long Island. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because Lou, Lou, Lou Reed is Lou Reed. We got some fucking echo problem with Skype here. But Lou Reed was somewhere, uh, was it called Littleton? It was like the first uh, track home, right? Yeah, he was, uh, it might have been Levittown. Levittown, I... that's it, that's it. Because yeah. I read the Victor Bacris book, I'm sorry. My faulty memory, <laughs> faulty memory, Chris. Chris, in this this pad, yeah. you know, I'm thinking of Jim, Jimmy Durante. What was his big song, the Inky Dinky? Uh, Inky Dinky yeah, Doom? it was something like that. Yeah, because yeah. sounds were big, I think because of yeah. immigrants, you know, and different sounds, yeah. different languages. That makes sense to me. Uh, was there uh, musical instruments in the pad you grew up? There was. There was uh, um, what it turned out to be a harmony, um, a stratotone, I think it was the model. It, it was a single pickup guitar. It had the gold foil dearmond pickup in the in it in the, uh, the rhythm position. And it was a very cheap guitar for back in the day. But my, my sister's friend Rodney left it at our house. I think it was hot and I think he couldn't bring it home. So he left it at our house. And I became fat. Fascinated by that thing, I would uh, pick it up and play it all the time. Now, was there amp? There was no amp, but this guitar you could sort of play acoustic. So I guess the gold foil pickup don't make much fucking work. Well, you know what happened eventually is my brother or one of my brothers, I think, stole uh, a uh, a woolen sack reel to reel recorder from the high school, and that made a great little guitar amp. Uh, matter of fact, years later uh, we we did a show with the Big Boys. And uh, I forget the name of their guitarist, but he he used a Tim Kerr. 
Yeah. He's a painter he, now in Austin. Really he good used, painter. Oh, he used the same woolen sack, the guts of a same the same woolen sack reel to reel. It was a tube amp. He used it as a preamp, and it was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. And uh, it hadn't occurred to me that like all those years earlier when I was twelve or thirteen, that's kind of what I was doing. I was playing through. Now, did you get any lessons, or did, were you just man alone figuring it out? Well, after I uh, abandoned the trombone... Uh, oh, you know, no, I, tell me about the bone, man. That's fucking bass clef. How did you get into the bone? Was it school? Yeah, it was uh, in elementary school. They offered um, marching band. It might have been junior high, and so I... You know, looked around for an instrument. I thought the tuba's too goddamn big. I don't want to play the sousaphone. I'll try the trombone. It was murder on my lips. And the next year, they offered a guitar class in the in the junior high. So uh, it must have been, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. Yeah, I was you don't have to march with it. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, at that point, my favorite person in the entire world was Jimmy Page. I was like, Jimmy Page is not playing a trombone. No, but J.J. Johnson did. There's a great uh, John Coltrane now with it. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, There's. I heard that there was an advantage of the bone and marching band was the big mouthpiece because when you're marching, the thing bounces around, so the trumpet, French horn, that shit's hard. So, yeah. you know, like a lot of things human, there's pluses and minuses. Chris, what was the first record you bought with your own money? The... Uh... The first record I bought with my own money was uh, Sgt. Pepper's, and I bought it at, like, the local Woolworth on Montauk Highway, also called Merrick Road by the locals. There was a shopping center there. I think it was the JCPenney, but they sold vinyl, and uh, that would have been, you know, the early 70s, the first and record. what was the I first bought. gig you went and saw? First gig I ever saw was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer at Nassau Coliseum. I fell asleep <laughs> at a couple of their gigs. Yeah. My uh, buddy uh, Tony loved them, so I went with him, but I always caught The same thing happened at Rush. I want to play a Chris T. song called Dan Electrotasm. That's <laughs> a great title. Thank you.
I shed my ego by the weir, make myself less as we trudge through the autumn, crushing summer underfoot. Something inside me died this week, so I dare you to show me life in a season where everything is ending. You lead me to the dale where the trees shine as gold and red as apples, a forest fire against blue sky. My boots slip as I clamber on the wet rocks next to the river, scramble up and down the path, negotiate the dance of falling. I am once again learning to walk here amongst the tangled roots and thick mud, learning how to print new patterns into the earth. Across the river, the vertical rock face plunges into the water, a fearless diver. You put your hand out for us both to stop and gesture to the tiny white mushrooms on the tree by the bank. Me, too focused on the path, would not have thought to turn my head to the trunk. I step inside the earth then, sink into the thick moss, slide down the damp bark, a babe in the silence of the natural world, only to find that it too speaks a language, one I have never bothered to learn. The water gurgles prayers to the south, the woodpecker makes earthquakes in the bark, and the branches creak as they bend towards the light, reaching, reaching, as if they could pluck the clouds from the sky. In the midst of this, a heron sits canvas still, as if it has been painted into the reeds. I wish for the impossible, beg it to teach me how to shrink. Birch and willow make me small. Mushroom and gorge make me small. Limestone and fossil make me small. Make me splinter in palms of earth. Something inside me died this week, but I too am a season. I'm a bud in the belly of soil, waiting, waiting for the spring.
Watt for Pedro Show. That chunk of music started with Chris T doing Dan Electrotasm. And people, he did have a Dan Electro. I still have it. Yeah, it wasn't just wishful thinking. He actually made a tune for one of the machines. Now, did it have the case with the amplifier in it? Uh, No, it's a Dan Electro convertible. It was meant to be played acoustic or electric. Right, right, right. It has a hole in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's got a hole in the middle. In in the middle of the Masonite. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's a Masonite guitar. I mean, the necks on those things are incredible. They're way better than they should be. They even had tilt adjust. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And then the lipstick pickup has got a very signature sound. Yeah, it's probably one of those guitars I will die with. You know, I, there are many guitars, uh, Mike, over the years that I regret having unloaded. You know, I look back now and think I was a dope. But uh, that is one guitar because, I mean, it cost me 200 bucks. I bought it off a friend of mine and I probably will hang on to it. Yeah, you know, life. I've seen pictures of Jimmy Page playing one of them. Yeah, not, he's not the that one model, that made... not that model, but a Dan Electro. Yeah, he played a DC fifty nine uh, for cashmere pickup, pick pickup guitar, and he made the values of those things go through the roof. You know, you uh, used to be able to pick ca- them up. Cashmere, cheap right? Out. One of the later songs. Uh, cashmere. Yeah, yeah he famously yeah. used that guitar on Cashmere. Oh, cash- I saw Led Zeppelin in nineteen seventy seven. By the way, that's uh, the last time ever that they played at Madison. I think he Square was Garden. a junkie at that time. There's some bad stories he- about that tour. He weighed about 90 pounds. Yeah, yeah he was, it was a skinning bad, bad scene. And uh, yeah. I guess the drummer man had nothing to live for. John Bonham, a great, but he was in a bad place. I was yeah. just reading some sad things. Yeah. Uh, Robert Plant just lost his boy and shit. It was a bad time. Can't hear you. Where'd you Robert go? Robert Plant lost there? his boy. Hello, Mike. And, uh, well, let me, if you can't hear me, I'm going to tell people what songs we heard. Bombs Prendon with Big Career 777. SLWCC Watt, brand new album at Iowa City. History belongs to the Winers. Bob Bucko Jr. with No Road Long Enough. That's my nearby debut. Sophie, Sophie Sparham. Gotta have problems saying that. And Christopher Gregory doing The Dance of the Fallen. Joe Cardamone with part 13 of his Quarantina series, stage six. Psychic Hotline after that with Regulated Lines. And Chris T. Powderfinger. Let me call him back. We lost him. Yeah, here we go. Every wise and veteran you. Yeah. <laughs> the Toronto Chris. Suckers. In fact, three months ago, I was on your show, and it was beautiful. You were most kind host to me. I loved it. Thank you. Uh, okay, let's get into your music thing. Like, now I'm not talking after school, like graduate, but after school in the afternoon. Yeah. The garage band, the basement band, the bedroom band. Did you do that? Yeah, we had a band, me and Billy Kammerer. He uh, played, uh, you know, he played rhythm and sang, and I played lead and didn't sing. It was called Cobra. And uh, we had a pretty cool logo that was like a snake. This would have been roughly 78, and we played the hits of 1978. We played Bachman Turner Overdrive. We played Steve Miller. Uh, we played Cheap Trick. We played it all horribly, by the way. So you we guys massive- were like copying songs off records, like me and D Boone. You, yeah, you we were, weren't writing any. So- you weren't writing any of your own songs. You didn't have a drummer or bass player either. 
No, we had a drummer and a bass player, but uh, the drummer Ricky was pretty steady. But the bass players would sort of revolve. We'd we would go through them. There was a guy named Tom who was there for quite a while. Our biggest gig would have been our, at Our Lady of Perpetual Help, uh, Roman Catholic Church dance Christmas time, and uh, that that was our our biggest uh, gig ever. Now, yeah. where was the practice pad? Was it yours? Billy's father owned a tile business. As a matter of fact, Billy lives in Escondido now, and, oh, he, and he runs a tile and marble business. So family. he's still in the family business, <laughs> but he moved out to California many years ago. And they had a warehouse in Lindenhurst uh, where we could leave our stuff set up. Okay. And that's what we practiced. Yeah, because yeah, usually it's a drummer's pad, right? But not that kind of situation. That's bitching. Yeah. So you well, never we had problems had about the noise or anything. No, yeah, we never had complaints because we were sort of in an industrial park yeah, area, yeah. so there was no one around, That's you know, to complain. And sometimes we'd be in the backyard of my house in this building called the barn, the shed that my father built that had an upstairs. Yeah, that was like a twelve by twelve room, and all it had was electricity. Yeah, and we would go up there and we would make a racket. And when my mother got tired of it, she would kill the power to the barn. Okay. Yeah, I guess that was the cue. That was the cue that it's it's driving me insane. You know. Enough. But you know, I realized my mother was pretty supportive with that shit. Like my yeah. father would have never tolerated it. My father yeah. hated, you know, he did not like rock and roll. He yeah. was not a fan. He didn't, you know, he wouldn't let me watch Yellow Submarine when I visited him after my parents got divorced because he said it was about drugs. So I couldn't watch the movie. It, they were showing it on TV. You know, that, that's not their real voices, right? Yeah, I, I do know that, but it's the real music. I didn't music. know at the time, though. I didn't know at the time. <laughs> yeah. What I, a fraud uh, they perpetrated on us. They did. Yeah. <laughs> but, they but, you know, I guess that's why they call it acting, right? You got you need Martians, right? You get, so yeah. he's got to act. Yeah, so. were, were the, were the uh, voice actors at least Liverpudlians, or were they just, <laughs> like, like American? I, I have no were, idea. I have, I have no, no idea. idea. You know? Yeah. If you're good... You're not supposed to know where they come from, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, Cobra, about you, Chris. Now, now, does this band ever get? To, does Cobra ever get to the point of writing Cobra songs? No, we never did any original material. You know, we we only did covers, man. We did. Okay. We had a, a okay. set list of about twenty songs. But, but, but I know you moved to a band where you guys started writing your own songs. So when yeah, is well, that? that that was the next band, which was the Nihilistics, and the Nihilistics uh, was really me and my friend Mike Nicolosi, who's now gone on bass, and oh, so I kind of taught him how to play the bass. He wanted to be in a band. He didn't know how to play anything. We went out and got him a Hackstrom bass, you know, because back then you can buy a Hackstrom bass for a hundred bucks. Yeah, you mean there was no crossover between Cobra and Nihilistics? No, there was nothing okay. really between the two. Once Cobra, not even ended, members, no guys. It's a whole not, another group. Of no, no, no. It was a whole different group. No, yeah, okay, it was okay. a whole different set of people because the guys that were in Cobra yeah. were really about fry boots and you know puka shells. They were not. <laughs> They were not about punk rock at all. They didn't like the Ah, yeah, thing. yeah. I remember those days. It was definitely yeah. a line in the sand. Yeah. In, on Long Island, oddly enough, Mike, there was a big southern rock thing. Like, you wouldn't think I would Long believe Island. It. But, I believe it. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, but, but in You know, Dixie, Dixie was written by an Ohio guy in New York City. I mean, you know, John Fogarty, very northwest bayou. 
Yeah, right. He's uh, he's from the Bay Area, right? So you know, but 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 Marshall Tucker Band, you know, Leonard yeah. Skinner, sure. anything like that. Molly Hatchet was huge. But I remember when the Sex Pistols played, uh, you know, when they toured America and the news would routinely have stories about them. I found myself thinking, Who, what the hell are Sex Pistols? And the more the more they were mocked, the more interested I was. I was like, why are they, you know, like they would they would always arch an eyebrow when the newscaster right. would say Johnny Rotten or Sid Vicious. And I would think, like, who the hell is Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious? And. There was a kid in our school, Lenny Lobriano, who wore a Nevermind the Bollocks pin. You know, like it was a square pin that was like the cover of the album. And I remember th- seeing that and thinking, what? And like, this is the only kid apart from me, I think, who's heard of the Sex Pistols in our high school. And that sort of began this journey for me that led to, you know, being in the Nihilistics. Right. And away from Cobra. And away from Cobra. Okay. Yeah. So what yeah. were the first Nihilistic songs, Chris? It was called uh, "Grandmas Are Made for Kicking," and it, it was it was about kicking your grandmother down the stairs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Um, you know, and I remember Mike got into writing lyrics. Mike really, you know, like once Mike picked up the bass and started playing, yeah. and realizing that it, we could do it ourselves, he was way into writing lyrics and he came up with some very interesting stuff now what about drummer man was it a power trio uh you know initially uh, for some reason every band i've been in like singers and drummers have been hard to find so initially we went through a whole list of them like people we would meet at clubs and they would last for two or three weeks and then they would decide they didn't want to do it and finally we found this kid that lived in our very own town like he had been under our nose the whole time and his name was troy and he was really good he was a really good drummer he could play really fast and he had his own kit and he had his own car to put the kid in Ah. and you know that shit was important because yeah, I was always time. given I was always given bass players rides. Like bass players, for some reason, never had a car that worked, and I would always have to pick them up in their gear. In the big fucking amp. The big fucking amp. Yeah, but but Troy had a job. He had a drum set. He had a you know car, and he could play. And he that that's all the requirements. Yeah, that yeah, that's it. That's it. You know. Okay, tell me about the first Dialistics gig. Our first gig was oddly enough at Max's Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and and it, we, I remember having to hump our gear up like two flights of stairs to get there. And it was a benefit for uh, Damaged Goods fanzine, which was Lyle Heisen's fanzine. And Lyle was in the Misguided at the time. He went on to form Das Damen. Yeah. And they were on SST Records. No, I, know, remember, they, I remember Das Damen. Yeah, das Lyle. Damen, yeah. yeah. Lyle. Kind of a, well, everything's rock and roll, but uh, maybe a little slower than hardcore. Yeah, yeah. They they were more of, you know, they, they fit in with with like the bands that were on the SST label a bit more. They were not like a, Dostama was not New York hardcore. I wouldn't call it that. It was like, they were more trippy than that. But the Misguided were. The Misguided were a hardcore band. Oh, sure, sure. And, and there was a huge yeah. front there, believe me. Uh, what was the club? A7. A7 was a big nexus of activity, but Nihilistics played all over New York. You know, we played the Mud Club. We played Dance Interior. We played the Peppermint Lounge. We played CBGB's multiple times. We played at Great Gildersleeves and other clubs that are lost to memory. You know, oh, we, well, tell, we, me, tell me about that first gig, though, the, the, the benefit. Was it a success? Yeah, I think the benefit, you know, I think 
think he made like six hundred bucks or no, something. No, no, but and, I mean you know, for the band, like, they didn't throw you off. They didn't throw shit. Oh, oh no, no, no. I, I think it went well for the band. I think the band at that point was pretty salty, and and we had played together quite a bit. And I and and I think we might have even recorded our EP by then. So you know we had some experience under our belts, and and we had. A take no prisoners attitude. We honestly didn't give a shit if people liked us or not. You know, <laughs> well, I we, think you have to have that in that that scene, or you're gonna wilt. Yeah, yeah. You know, we our attitude towards the whole thing is life is bleak. Fuck you. We're gonna play our songs, and you know, we got a lot of shit for being from Long Island because these idiots, you know, that were in Manhattan at the time thought Long Island was the Great Gaps Gatsby. They didn't. They didn't know that. <laughs> You know, Long Island was a very blue collar place, especially the part that I came from was my father was a mechanic, for Christ's sake. So, well, and I, I you know, think, I think Chuck D and Rakim are strong island. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, both I didn't know that. Guys. I always thought, both yeah, those guys. Uh, yeah, you know, they might be from like the Amityville area. I thought you meant Chuck Dukowski for a minute. No, Chuck Dukowski's <laughs> Californian, right? Yeah. Well, Chuck lives. Yeah. He married a lady in a, a professor in Santa Barbara. You see, Santa okay. Bar- he lives out here now. But originally, you know. does he does he do music at all anymore? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, right. uh, I think he did some stuff, some kind of proj with uh, guys mm-hmm. in Rage Against the Machine and uh, Cypress Hill, maybe. But we're at the end of the first hour. Yeah. May twelfth, twenty twenty one edition. Watt Pedro show special guest Chris Sackis. Hold tight for hour two. May twelfth, twenty twenty one. It's the second hour. Watt for Pedro. The world owes me a living. <laughs>
Pedro Show start off the second hour. The nihilistics, you're the blame. No doubt there. Ben One Salter of our big after, hits. <laughs> ben Salter after that from Tasmania with Trouble Is All Around, but not mm. here. Jesse Sheldon, that's Brother Lucas, Sydney with No Vacancy. And finally, another hit of the nihilistics, After Death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we had some real ditties for kitties, that's for sure. Now, are these the bass man's mic's words? 
Yeah, you know, Mike uh, went through a transformation after his father died. His father was in a bad car accident and then lingered in the hospital for a while and then died. And I still don't know if he died from his injuries from the car accident or some other reason. But Mike locked himself in his bedroom for like a week, week and a half. And when he emerged, he was like a different person. I mean, when I met him, he was a pretty happy, upbeat, lucky, happy-go-lucky kid. And then he, like after, he, he really liked his father. He had a really tight relationship with his father. And when his father died, it, it kind of something changed in his brain. And he started writing these really dark songs, these dark lyrics. Whoa. Now, did Nihilistics ever tour? We did. We went as far north as Boston. I distinctly remember going up to Massachusetts one time. Um, and then the furthest like west we ever got would have been the wilds of New Jersey. But we were four guys that like if you put us in a van, we probably would have murdered each other. I, I don't think it would have worked <laughs> out well. Um, and I was always envious of like uh, the guys in Adrenaline OD who, you know, would get in a van and drive to California and, and play shows along the way. I we never we were so working class that we just couldn't imagine like leaving our jobs to go play. You know, like we maybe we didn't have enough faith in ourselves or enough belief. But, you know, I always wondered what would have come of it if we had if we had gone out on the road and, and played somewhere besides the tri-state area. Well, where did you play in Boston? Because they had a big scene. That's kind of the I-95 network. Uh, it's lost to memory. I don't even know. I mean, I'd have to ask Ron, the singer. He's He's got a better memory for this shit than I do, okay. but I, I don't. I know we were in Boston one night, and, we, and it was like a subterranean thing. We had to go downstairs into the space where the bands were. But beyond that, I couldn't tell you the name of the club. Uh, so it wasn't the channel. Yeah. What, what was that? It, it was, wasn't the channel. You would have remembered the channel. What, do you remember the channel? <laughs> Yeah, well, because it was in the water, right? It was by where the tea party was and all that shit. It, it, it ended up burning down. I, it might have been, man. I'll, I'll ask Ron the next time we okay, talk. You because know, he's, he's, you know, he's still running the band. The Nihilistics are still around, and it's still got him and Troy. And, you know, Mike is dead, so they got another bass player, and they got another guitar player, who everyone thinks is like the guitar player, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, see, the, the channel would only let punk bands play on Sundays. And then Sundays you couldn't sell beer, right? So Andrew and his Southie guys would make sure you, you didn't have to go to you New were, Hampshire to get the beer. <laughs> you were, got you hooked up with some, uh, some And you'd have to play beer. in the afternoon because the real bands, and the hair metal would play at nighttime on the Sundays. So you'd play, play with Husker Du or... Uh, gangrene or something like that. Yeah. So, so uh, um, I want to play this here. You said you played some uh, gigs for Hilly, and you got you gave me some records here. Badge of Shane live at CBGB. Yeah. Who likes to party, man? Who likes to skateboard and fuck girls and party? Oh wow, man. Who likes New York? Who likes New York, man? That's great. That's really wonderful. Wow, man. Let's party, Hardy. Hey, man. Everyone having a good time? Everyone getting drunk and getting wild, man? Yeah, man, that's where it's at.
driving in the country I passed her on Her room was filled with a warm light glow I was singing into the darkness Moonlight thick as mud There was no way she could understand It was a roaring in the blood
could see Oh, no. 
spot for Pedro show. We're regretting the fact that the only video of nihilistics was in Mike Baseman's basement that got flooded. Yeah. So we got no, but we do have audio people, and you just heard right there, Badge of Shame, live at CBGB. Nihilistics. 1984. Yeah, that was the beginning of the end, Mike. The beginning of the end. Beginning of the end. Why do you say that, Chris? Well, because it was around then that, like, uh, Mike and Ron started really getting into, like, Judas Priest and stuff like that. And they decided what the Nihilistics needed was a lead guitarist. And Ron drafted his brother, who was a kid that played a BC Rich Warlock or one of those really pointy guitars. And uh, had really long hair. And we did a couple of rehearsals with this kid. And I just remember looking over thinking, this is never going to work. I don't want to do this. This sounds like shit. And there's no way we're transforming ourselves into like Judas Priest light. I don't even know what the hell they wanted to do, frankly. But it was at that point that I just got disillusioned because, you know, we were a four piece. And, and I thought a pretty good four piece. And I didn't think we needed to you know, add a fifth member, especially one, you know, who didn't really, you know, like just just didn't get the whole idea of the thing. And and so it, for me, it was very disillusioning. Now, you started the band. <laughs> I started the band. I named the band. I, I came up with the name of the band and I, I taught Mike, you know, how to play bass. And it was me and Mike before it was anybody else. And I was in that weird position of like basically leaving the band that I started. Yeah, you, I you're being wrestled out wanna... of your own band. You know, it, it, it's like uh, it's weird when they when the bandmates, your bandmates sort of like just start going in a different direction entirely and you don't want to go with them. Then you have a choice to make. And my choice was, you know, at that time, around that time, I also uh, had been in a car accident myself. I got some money from this settlement. Because I was hit by a checker cab that was doing about 70 Ooh. while I was stopped at a red light. And I was, uh, you know, I took the money. After the lawyer took his cut, I got about six grand. And I used it to move to New Jersey. I got the hell out of Long Island once and for all. So that was pretty much it. Once I moved to New Jersey, I didn't really see those guys anymore. And we, there was years we didn't talk. Uh, we tried to get back together at one point, And it kind of went horribly because... Mike was an alcoholic, among other things. He was tough to be around. He would get really abusive after a few beers. And when Mike was drinking beer, like he would drink it warm. There would be a case of beer in the corner of his room. He would, before you knew it, down a six pack. And he didn't even care if it was like cold. I mean, to me, the point of beer is it's cold. To point The point of beer to him was it gets me drunk, right? So that's, and, and he was a really abusive drunk and unpleasant to be around. So that was it for me. And periodically over the years, he would reach out to me. He would call me when things were going bad between him and Ron. And the last time I saw him, he clamped his hands around my throat and tried to choke me to death. Why? So, you know, I still don't know. I know uh, it was around Halloween. I, you know, I, against my better judgment, I went to visit him because I was visiting my mother the next town over for like Thanksgiving and I went over there and he was watching the movie Maniac on his projection TV on a loop. So he was watching it over and over again. Uh, he was smoking one cigarette after another. He was drinking beer. And at one point I was on this couch. It's kind of a soft, comfortable couch. And he looked at me and he said, would you mind if I choke you? 
And I thought he was joking. Like you would you would think somebody would be joking about that. And I, I was like, I, sure, why not? Or something. <laughs> I forget what I said. And the next thing I know, he came over and he stuck his knee in my chest and he pushed me into the couch and he clamped his large hands around my throat and he started choking me. And if it wasn't for his wife, who was in the kitchen cleaning up at the time, seeing what was happening and running out and pulling him off of me while screaming, Mike, Mike, what are you doing? I think he might have killed me. I, I honestly, I was starting to black out. I was starting to not be able to breathe. And no matter what I did, I couldn't get him off of me because he was pressing his full body weight. And Mike was a tall guy. Mike was like six foot two, you know, and he was bigger than me. And he was using his body weight and his hands to like, and then when it was all over and I was gasping for air, he sunk down into his couch and he buried his head in his hands and he said, you ruined my life. And I still don't know what the fuck he meant by that. I have no idea. Dude, I have no humans idea. Are, <coughs> humans are a mystery, Chris. Yeah, well, he died of blood cancer. And, oh, you know, so I went to the I'm funeral so and someone at the funeral, when I asked him, you know, what they were doing there, they said, I just want to make sure he's dead. So, you know. <laughs> There's a Buddy Rich joke about Oh really? Look, yeah, I should Maybe tell Maybe that's people. what it was. Maybe it was the <laughs> there, there is, show. you know, keep calling his wife. Right? Is he dead? Yeah. Is he dead? I just want to hear it. You know. <laughs> okay, okay. I should tell the other people we play after nihilistics, which might be a propo. A murdered man with Corvette, uh, hunted by murder by death. Miriam mm. Jenden with the red dress. Calumet live at twelve uh, at the five o'clock lounge. Duo decimal system in Cleveland. Tim Holhouse with Twitch. And finally, live at CBGB, Hangout from the Nihilists. Now, Hangout the, don't sound so bad. You know, it, it's uh, it's one of the few songs I wrote in the band. I wrote Ah, Hangout. it's a Chris T song. Okay. It's a Chris T song, and I sang it, too. That was me singing. Okay, great. I well, never sang. You know. well, well, look, you did hear. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, man. Yeah, that's did, did you have to borrow? Uh, did you have to borrow somebody's mic, or did you have your own? Uh, that was, I, that was at CBGB's, right? That was one of the CBGB's uh, live songs. Oh man, so. I learned to bring my own mic along. You go on after Gigi Allen, you bring your own mic. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, May 12, 2021, Peter Show, special guest, Chris Takis. Hold tight for hour three. May 12, 2021, third hour, Watt for Pedro Show. <laughs>
Thank mm-hmm. you.
third hour, start off with Sweet Jane. Little pun rock here, people. Because like sweet, like a symphony, you know, something. And of course, Lou's song from Strong Island. Kinder Gentle. And then uh, Pino Ventana, which is uh, Jason Lafarge from uh, that studio in uh, Brooklyn. Caesar's Palace. Caesar's. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, Rats for Belmer, Modern Blonde, Modern Life, and finally Jungle Creeps, somewhere in between. So these are some other kind of music projects of yours, Chris. Uh, l- l- tell me, enlighten me about K- Kinder Gentleman. Kinder Gentleman was uh, RCA Records put out a Cowboy Junkies cover of Sweet Jane, and Lou Reed said it was the best version he had heard. And RCA Records, as a promotional thing, said... Let's hear the worst version of Sweet Jane. (laughs) Submit, you know, submit your version of Sweet Jane. So me and my friend Tom Bergen went and recorded that one. And I added all the sound effects and (laughs) and we came in second. We won a CD player with that song. (laughs) It was not quite as bad as the the first worst. Yeah, What was was the first worst like? I don't even remember. Okay. I'm not sure I ever heard it. I just remember thinking we took second place. So this is such a prod that it was only yeah. for one tune. It was only the one song. Okay. Yeah, the kinder gentleman was like we recorded one song and then we, <laughs> then we broke up. Now, you, well, sometimes you know that's good enough. <laughs> it, uh, it was, is. It's yeah, yeah. good enough. Now, now enlighten me about Jungle Creep. Uh, Jungle Creeps was a band that I joined on guitar. Uh, this woman Paula Carino. It was her band. She wrote the songs and you know the lyrics and she sang and um i joined the band and then i violated that fundamental rule about not becoming involved with the the people you're in a band with yeah yeah yeah. i ended up in a relationship with the singer and and she did that famous thing where you know i i was in chicago i came back to find out that she had slept with an old boyfriend and i broke up with her and then she begged me to take her back and then two months later she dumped me so it was a little bit of drama yeah it was that famous thing where i probably should have just stayed broken up it would have been better for me <laughs> because i went through some changes over that mike yeah <laughs> so it was a jungle creep it was <laughs> or and, uh, slog more of a slog <laughs> but we're friends on facebook now like she's ah. married i'm married she's a really good person she's a yoga teacher and lives in brooklyn but you know she's still doing music and i i, I always thought she was incredibly talented it's just that you know uh, i got involved with her i made the mistake of getting involved right right yeah now here's another project missing mm-hmm. foundation missing foundation was an industrial band uh, based in new york uh started by pete missing and uh the shows were legendary for people getting hurt because they were very violent they you know, I would try to stand at the back of the stage because, uh, among other things, they would take over storefronts that had been abandoned. This is early 90s New York City or late 80s, something like that. And they would hang these big sheets of metal from the ceiling and then, you know, pound on it throughout. And then the sheet of metal would eventually fall, you know, or somebody would kill the power in the space. It was there are there there's video footage out there. If you go on YouTube and look for Missing Foundation, it's it's pretty amazing. Well, unfortunately, our visuals are missing, but we do have audio. Yeah. Let's listen. <laughs>
give
Walk for Pedro Show last music for this edition. Burn trees. Or burn storefronts. Pound the shit out. Pete Missing had a, a theory that trees represented the first like wave of gentrification. When they started putting trees in, you knew that the yuppies were coming. So hence burn trees. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm not. I'm not saying. No, it was no, a I know, I know. Theory. You, you get no debate I'm, from what I'm just a witness. I'm, not, I'm just yeah, a I'm witness. Defend, I'm just a witness. <laughs> then we had the uh, something live from Weistalka. I think these guys are from Croatia. Uh, Passier alcohol. Yeah, maybe pass the booze. Huh? What do they call beers over there? Pivo. 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 Yeah, now Pivo's the. I'll never slab go thirsty. Czechoslovakia. No, Croatia, but they're Croatia, close. Sorry. And I think they use Pivo for all their words. Russia, Poland, all those Slav people say Pivo. And then the brandy's called Schlibovitz, right? Yeah. So if you want to know how to get borracho, <laughs> man, I had some raw shit. Anyway, Troopa Troopa after that from Poland with Give Mall. The Tibetan Tantric Choir with the part three of three from side two of their uh, the Giotto Monks uh, cassette. And then finally, this project of yours that you brought called Rich and a tune called Vint. Yeah, named after the bass player. There you go. Oh, yeah, you that mean was... they're sharing members of Missing Foundation? Yeah, after uh, both of us left Missing Foundation, we started Wrench with this guy, Jim Moffat, who's now gone on drums. Jim, after Wrench, ended up in Missing foundation so we were two bands that were swapping members back and forth and yeah it was a trio uh you know jim on drums and me on guitar and vince and we tried to get vocalists but it never worked out we tried uh women vocalists male vocalists you know we tried singing ourselves and and that's an instrumental because i mean ultimately we probably should have just been an instrumental band why not? And what yeah. are you doing for music these days, Chris? I am not doing anything these days except playing down in the basement by myself every once in a while. I'm, Do you record? Uh, Do you record? I haven't recorded in a really long time. You know, uh, mostly I I do my show. I do Aerial View on the HoundNYC.com on Friday nights and interview people like Mike Watt. You know, so uh, <laughs> my last show I had Deke Dickerson on uh, from Untamed Youth, who you know lives just north of Hollywood would and is a really fantastic guitar player so i you know i've been i've been interviewing cats that i came up with from the myhc scene and the punk scene and trying to drill down into that a little bit because you know i think what's happening now is people are unearthing all of that history they, they want to know about what happened in the early 80s and, I, and i'm sure you know this as much as anybody yeah especially younger people yeah even though there's a lot of internet information it's still good to hear the voices of the cats themselves, I think, Chris. So you do a fucking righteous service by letting Thank you. people speak with their own voice about times that they actually lived. And you and I have something in common in that we had the advantage of actually being there and living through it. So I think it gives a different take on things yeah, yeah and you're still doing it to your credit you're still at it i mean that's you know remarkable because the number of people who are who have stayed in the game that long is it's it's you know there's not that many so kudos to you yeah but i mean think about john coltrane days and those guys right <laughs> there's nobody left from those marshall allen yeah. you know and uh, he's still torn in vans so uh yeah. yeah, I guess when it comes to that thing, you got to take it as a personal kind of trip, I think. Because if you're looking for peer approval, maybe that's the wrong tree to bark. Yeah, I don't know. I, th I don't know if I was ever looking for that. I just no, I don't think a... you were. But, you yeah. know, no, I think because in the old days, 
definitely this was not a popular movement so you had to be into it yeah it for us it was the equivalent of you know like it was the thing that got us out where other people might have used some kind of like my uncle bobby it was wrestling for him other guys i know it was baseball or basketball or something for me it was playing guitar being in a band that took me out of long island it got me out of you know the provincial sort of place that i came from and it took me into manhattan in the late 70s early 80s which was you know not that great for people who don't know you know and when i think about a lot of the places that i went and stuff i did by myself other people might have said what about the danger and it didn't even occur to me we didn't even think about that back then you know but we were around while son of sam was doing his thing for god's sake so you know uh, it's been a long journey and you know i'm glad that um, i'm still connected to that world somehow but it's like i don't I don't foresee me being on stage playing guitar again. I mean, it would be nice if it happened under some circumstance, but I, I don't foresee it happen. Well, in the meantime, though, maybe you can record. And yeah. If you do, please flow me the music because I'd love to play it on the Watt from Pedro show. I would do that under one circumstance, and that is if you added some bass to it. That would yes, be deal. Yeah. I'll be I'll be like your old bass man, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. But I won't choke your shit out. <laughs> Will you drink a warm six pack of <laughs> no, no? Blue I'll drink some frozen cold Jim Beam, and I'll yeah, keep exactly. my hands off your throat because bass players look good making the guitar man look. I love those politics. Mike was an idiosyncratic bass player. Like most yeah. people who heard Mike play, just was like they were like, "What? Huh?" <laughs> they couldn't really make sense of it because he was not playing the root note of the chord or whatever it might support the guitar player. He was. More often than not, I was following Mike. Like, Mike would come up with a riff, and I would have to figure out where the chords were for that riff, you know? And back then, I didn't play any cowboy chords. It, it was all bar chords. So, okay. well, you know, you just, I don't you think just I played... You can try and share that experience with me. I'll bring some bass to your songs, Chris. No problem. Right. Just bring it. Just Thank bring you. it. Beautiful you being on the show. Thank you so much. People, you it's been the May 12, 2021 Dishwap Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry. <laughs>